Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. Really excited to be joined today by my co-host. Martha, also from Boston Red Cloaks. And we are truly delighted to welcome Katherine Johnson. Hello, Katherine. Thanks for having me. Catherine, we have been following your activism and your ability to combine drama, art, and advocacy um, with your work in North Carolina since last fall and have been really eager to have this conversation. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Wow, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So we first noticed you when it was time to decide as a nation how people felt about the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And would love to just take our attention back a few months to that time and find out, you know, how that news, that nomination struck you and what you decided to do about it. Well, when I kind of think back to my frame of mind in that time period, when I heard that they were, they being our government, getting ready to push through this nomination, despite everything else that they've been dragging their feet on this whole time, it just made me so angry. And I remember saying to myself that I would kick, scream, cry, whatever I needed to do to make sure that my representative saw me and knew that it could not be questioned that I was not interested in that. That was not what I wanted. And that there was an army of women behind me who also did not want that. And that's why when I saw the social media movement that people wanted to do the red cloak protests across the whole nation, I was like, I'm at least going to be a part of it, if nothing else. As soon as I saw it, I knew I was going to at least be there. I didn't know I was going to be this involved, but I knew I was going to be there. So that's kind of where my headspace was. Now, did you already have a red cloak hanging in your closet? I actually did not, but I had read the book and seen most of the Netflix series that was out at the time um, at that point. So I was, I was very aware you know, of what it meant and the story behind it already. You went, I know you're saying you thought you'd be part of it. You became more than just a little part of it, which is exciting how that evolved. Uh, so how did you get your outfit and what did you do? So the first outfit was actually purchased off of Etsy because I found out about it in enough time to do that. But once we started seeing all the other posts from other women, um, especially women of different shapes and sizes, that sourcing these costumes was an issue. I quickly got together with the rest of my family because we're all kind of artsy, craftsy people. And we started cranking out costumes, even if it was just the cloak, just so that people would have something to have that imagery. And also just so that a piece of cloth wasn't the reason that they couldn't participate. It's expensive to buy the outfits. I mean, it does, it's an outlay, especially if you're not sure if you're going to do it more than one event. So I noticed that you were sewing and that you were making sure to take care of a bunch of people so that they would be able to jump in. How many outfits did you end up making? So I have a huge tote in my attic right now that is full of bonnets and cloaks and everything that we made. Pretty sure that if you subtract the outfits that got donated from people who had previously dressed up as that for Halloween, et cetera, et cetera, I think we made about 14 cloaks in total and I don't know 30 red masks to go with it because of course we had to think about that too Um, and we wanted to look coordinated because the whole point of everything was to look put together and have a uniform message and to look like we meant business so we came dressed to the nines it was important (laughs) they say that thing if they didn't want right an army they shouldn't have given us uniforms you totally got it (laughs) right it was definitely uh, important 
So about the video you made, uh, what got you the idea? Because it's very, I don't know, I loved it. You are dressed as a um, handmaiden, but everybody else that was also dressed, they were nurses, doctors, dentists, architects, uh, artists, police officers, I, I mean, everything. So how did you get the, the idea or how was it that you got to, to do this? Well, um, honestly, I kind of got the idea because I myself and so many other women out there, we've always had to wear so many different hats just to fit into whatever box society wants us to fit in this year. And I realized that when I was posting about that this protest was even ha happening on my own social media page, that the dissenting opinions seemed to trend around that we were crazy or that, you know, we were just the out there liberals. And I was like, no, we're everyday women. Like, look around. These aren't crazy cuckoo people. These are nurses and doctors and people that you would meet on the street and it wouldn't be weird. We're just people who are passionate about something that is going to affect our lives every day. So I wanted to relate it to both people who didn't know about the protest and also people who knew about it and kind of wanted to come, but were nervous that we're just everyday people who are trying to protect what little we have managed to secure thanks to you know Ruth Bader Ginsburg so that's kind of where the whole idea came from it was a brilliant video oh. it was so empowering and just really great well I really appreciate it I was really nervous about being so provocative but at the same time I noticed that for my portion of the country which is obviously deep south really red uh, it's having a hard time getting the word out because we have really bad echo chambers around here where you have your circle of liberal friends and you guys all hang out and it's cool. But, you know, when you communicate with those people, it's just all right still in that same group and the word doesn't get out. So I had to make something that was like, okay, this is kind of wow factor so that it would get shared. And because of that, there was a lot of people who found out about it and actually ended up coming that did not otherwise know. And then also just because I put myself out there, they're like, okay, well, if she can do all of that, I can show up. So that kind of really helped. So what uh, media or how did you get the word out? Did you do it through Facebook, through text messaging? What was the way of communication? So we ended up mostly on Facebook, of course, because we had the National Red Cloak page that really was the main way that we recruited actual protesters for our regions. But I noticed that some people were having a hard time taking the step from, oh, this is something that I share on Facebook to, oh, this is something I'm going to do in real life. So I noticed immediately that I really had to push people. Like I would pester them. I'm, I was that person. I was really annoying for like two weeks because people would comment on our Facebook wall saying, oh, that's so cool. You know, I'm from Charlotte or I'm from Raleigh or I'm from Wilmington. I'm like, okay, well, you just got invited to our group chat on Facebook. So enjoy the spam. You know, and of course we did tell everybody that you're going to get a billion messages. So just go ahead and mute notifications. But we wanted to build a sense of community and also really get the hype factor going that we are all about to go and do this thing. And we're all kind of relying on each other. We gave each other different tasks to do things to research. And so the most important thing was getting everybody involved and then their excitement spread to somebody else and they got somebody on board and it just kept snowballing from just sheer excitement. So that was my method. I just combined a bunch of different medias, Facebook, we did some TikTok. I think there was even some Snapchat and Instagram, but I would say probably 50% Facebook. Okay. So did you find it, um, 
I don't know if the word would be difficult, but I have a bunch of friends and I would tell them and they would all would go like, oh, I would love to do that. And I would call them, give them the message and only one, one showed up. And I'm like, every time and we did this, I don't know, 20 times, 30 times. And of all the times, two times these friends showed up. I'm like, okay. And everybody is like, no, I'm so happy that you are there to represent us. And I'm like, okay, but I cannot do it by myself. So how, how was it for you? There were a lot of people in my friend circle who also didn't show up. As a matter of fact, that was one of the really disheartening things for me as an organizer was that some of the people that were the closest to me in my life couldn't take time to show up to this thing that I'm clearly very passionate about. And the last time that we had a conversation about politics, you were passionate about it too, but apparently not passionate enough to show up. You know, it was very hard to not take it personal, but you know, that's also kind of one of the ways that we found our new tribe, if you will, because even now after the fact, we have a whole group chat dedicated to the people who are still really interested in specific parts of politics and policy that relate to feminism and, you know, your right to choose and all of that. So I kind of met new friends who are willing to commit, not saying that the other friends who didn't show up aren't still friends of mine. It's just that they're not people that I call on anymore to show up when it's important. <laughs> so basically my friends did the same thing. I just found new friends. <laughs> I think a lot of um, activists. Yeah, now we have do. two sets of friends, political friends and the friends to just to have. Right. Well, I will say a lot of the friends that didn't show up did at least donate um, money or they shared a lot, like anything that I put out, they would also share it, at least try to get some of their people, you know, over, which that did help some, but a lot of people who couldn't make it donated. Like, for example, one of my friends who was crushed that she couldn't make it, but she sincerely had other obligations, gave us like 150 bucks to just buy all black umbrellas for everybody because she found out it was going to rain. And she's like, Catherine, they can literally not rain on your protest. Like, what do we need to do? <laughs> and I was like, well, I really want coordinated umbrellas so that they'll be dramatic in in the rain instead of like a downer that we're in the rain and ended up working our photos from the protest are super dramatic because we had all black umbrellas and it's raining and you know we're wearing the long robes and so it was kind of perfect in a way but that was one of the ways that my friends who couldn't make it they helped in ways that they could that's totally great. I um, noticed that you were able to pick up some great media coverage. And so there's a wonderful interview with you speaking with someone from your local ABC affiliate. What was that like for you? It was honestly really scary because... <laughs> Like I had mentioned before, I come from a really deep red state. And also as my career, I'm surrounded by people who um, stereotypically have these conservative values. Like finding another person who thinks like me at work would be like, I would be shocked sincerely because it just doesn't happen often. So that was what I was thinking about when I was giving the interview. And it's actually funny that you would ask this question because I remember being angry at myself after giving the interview that even though I was doing something for me that i pretty much helped build I was still thinking about the toxic people in my life like even when I'm doing something I'm proud of and that I enjoy and it just made me feel even happier that I did it because things like that are exactly why we kick yell and scream and wear costumes to protest because people already don't take it seriously most of the time I don't really care if you think that I look stupid you're looking at me and you read this sign and that was the point 
Your signs were all coordinated. Did you make all of the signs? Yes, I did make all of the signs because as a side effect of our current, you know, wage versus cost of living situation in this country, I have to have what I call a side hustle. And one of those things that I do is I create decals and stencils and ways to make signs. So I was already like, I had that ready. And I felt like we really needed to look, as I had referenced previously, put together, like we had seriously planned this out because that's what we do. We're the planners. I feel like a lot of people don't realize how much of everything from the way the family functions to the way this whole country functions, really on the back of women. At the end of the day, if we stopped doing our jobs, things wouldn't happen. So I wanted that concept to be really evident in the fact that they just announced this hearing and I have these signs already in the bag (laughs) so (laughs) you know you know you were excellent spokesperson and can you tell us where were you actually located I've actually moved to Charlotte since then but at the time I was in the Raleigh Durham area so that's the central part of the state which probably really helped in planning everything because I was able to kind of be central to where everybody was. So they were coming to where I was instead of me going to where they were. And you were Um, right outside the Capitol building? Yes. So we chose um, the North Carolina Legislative Building, which is in the same district as really all of our government buildings. But we chose that specific location because some of the legislators who were ruling on, you know, whether or not she would be the next Supreme Court justice frequent this building. And we wanted kind of to go to their house and say, look at me now, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. And I do think they heard you. And this was October 25th was this first really big standout. I know you stood out ahead of time and took some great photos in advance of that. But the pictures from the rainy day with the umbrellas, that was on the Ruth Sentes National Protest Day. Now, an interesting thing happened the next day following you on social media (laughs) because a lot of people who were participating went home and were really tired. And then I saw your post. And what did you do? So... Again, I was angry because I had just, excuse me, my Southerness is going to come out, but I just busted my tail for this protest to get my legislators to hear me. And what do they do? I wake up or I can't remember. I either went to bed to or woke up to the news that they were going to have this rush meeting. It it must've been the night before because I had time to think about it. I went to bed pretty much knowing I was going to get up that next morning at like, I don't know, four or 5am, whatever time it took to get to DC that I was going to go back there because clearly my senators did not hear me and I wanted to look them in the face. So that's what I did. I got in my car and I drove to DC and I stood there while they walked up those stairs and just ignored everybody. Now, if you're okay with it, I'm just going to play a little clip. Is that all right? Yes. Because I went and we found it for our interview. So So we're watching a video clip where you were literally standing outside the Supreme Court building. And there's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of people out there. Some are not wearing masks. (laughs) Yes, that was honestly one of the most shocking experiences of it all for me because you would have to literally get inside my mind and relive what it looked like from outside of a camera lens to really understand what it looked like but I'm serious when I say that when I looked out upon these people and this was a group of extremely Christian you know Jesus saves very 
fanatical kind of people. Like, I'm not just saying that they're religious. Like these were fanatical people, no masks, shouting in your face, just saying the most obscene things, assuming things about me, just because um, carrying a sign that indicates that I'm pro-choice. They looked like rabid animals. And I don't like referring to people, you know, as animals. I know that you're not, that's a negative thing to do, but that was what my brain went to. They looked crazy to me and I was a little bit afraid of them but the fear is what made me want to be the loudest voice in the room even though I was the lowest population because by this point I'm sick of people not listening to me and I didn't have time for it so I made sure I made my presence known (laughs) it was insane though it really was shocking but as you said they do get intimidating or frightening We were at at one of the protests here in town and I was giving an interview because I was born in Mexico, so I speak Spanish. And one of the guys was shouting in Spanish. He thought nobody would shout back. And I'm like, oh, hell no. So I started to shout to him in Spanish. And so one of the reporters came and he goes like, oh, can I interview you for the local TV Spanish speaking? I'm like, yes, of course. So there's one woman and she comes to me and she gets in my face so bad that one, a police officer came and took her away. I'm like, okay, thank you. But they, they get bad, bad, bad. And this is during the pandemic with COVID. So when you, you know, when you went there, you had your mask on in all the protests where I've seen any images of you. And there are people in the clip we were just listening to without masks who were really being up close. Um, Was there any police intervention keeping people safe? Did you feel safe? So that was one of the other extremely upsetting things about that day. And one of the most popular images that was taken from that whole time period is actually one where you see myself and my sister standing in front of the building with a sign that says property of state police or something like that. And you see one of the officers just standing, you know, cross armed and just observing. And I suppose that these officers were doing their jobs because nothing was really escalating to the point of needing police intervention, especially in the ways that they tend to occur these days in protests. But I was surprised at how, if you looked on their face, this was just business as usual for them at this point. And the fact that somebody's two inches from someone else's face with no mask on shouting, like you can see spittle flying. I'm not trying to be disgusting, but I mean, when you shout that happens and they were just like, mm. If you don't like it, then I guess you can leave. And that's just how they had to handle it, really, though, because I can't really think of what I would request them to do in the situation. But the simple fact that it was business as usual for them was really upsetting to me. And on the subject of the police presence that day, this is an experience that I actually have only shared with one person up until now, and it was my sister on the ride home that day. I was really upset, like a little bit teary-eyed when I finally decided to leave because even though we had a literal Red Cloak Army come out there and join us after work hours when they could literally leave their lives to come and do this, there was even more of them too and they were getting worse and worse. So my sister and I decided to just leave because it was getting a little too intense for us. But on my way out, there was a man in uniform who had asked me if I was okay because like I was visibly upset. And I just looked at him and the first thing that came out of my mouth was that I'm okay. I'm just 
can't believe that this is this is America now. And that's what I said to him. And he just shook his head and he said, I know I can't either, but it'll be over soon. And this was previous to, of course, you know, the election news and all of that stuff. So it was kind of foreshadowing in a good way. But at the time, I just remember being really discouraged, turning around on that street corner after having that conversation and seeing that crowd of just, you could feel the angry energy and the excitement coming from over there. And it was just, it was just negative energy. And it's, it was really sad seeing that this is really what it has come to. It's right versus wrong. Like we're at a battle of ethics. That's not even politics anymore. Well said. We would love to continue our conversation. If you don't mind joining us again, it's very interesting getting your perspective. So we're just going to, we're going to sign off. So thanks so much for being with us, Catherine. And we cannot wait for part two to continue our conversation. That sounds good. I'll be here. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com and have a great day.